Good morning. Nobody here? Good morning. Oh, there's a few people. Jack Brady from Criminal Justice, a privilege to introduce the speaker today. If you're wondering if we have a God that's big enough to handle what you're going through or somebody that you know it's really in a mess, then check it out. Before Christ, seventh grade dropout, became a father at age 16, former gang member, gang leader, drug dealer, former homeless person, former jail inmate, it's all the same person here, by the way, suffered PTSD from all the street violence, barely escaped attempts on his life several times by rival gangs, had three brothers and close friends shot or stabbed, but after Christ, became a successful businessman and owner of an IT company, got married and has eight children and eight grandchildren. He's a national speaker on church planning, urban ministry, and youth engagement, featured on national media outlets and speaker for TED Talks, trainer for Christian Development Association, Christian Community Development Association, author of the book, The Edge of Redemption, which is used by churches and universities across the country, including uh, Indiana Wesleyan's criminology class, which is offered next semester. You don't have to be a criminal justice major to take that class if you like what you hear today. Um, I didn't think I'd live long enough to hear the word hip-hop and Wesleyan in the same sentence, but it is, okay? So, I want you to welcome the pastor of the Edge Urban Fellowship, a hip-hop church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Pastor Troy Evans. What up? How y'all doing? Y'all good? Did y'all just come back from, like, vacation or something? Make some noise up in the building! Yeah, I gotta wake up up in here. Man, I am excited to be here. I haven't been here in, uh, I don't know, maybe three and a half years or so. Well, oh, I came back. I was here about a year and a half ago for a quick second, but I haven't spoke here in a minute. I just, come on, give me a hug. Everybody give me a hug. How y'all doing? Sweet. You, come on, give me a hug before I come up there. Give me a hug. There we go. I appreciate you. You're so nice. Give him a hand and give me a hug. Give him a hand. I want to dive right in and uh, talk about some, some, uh, some things, and I want to share just, uh, just continue just to share a bit about what God has done, um, and more importantly, uh, what he's doing. Because uh, he, he is just, uh, I, I run out of words for him. I just uh, could, I start making up stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, laugh, man. What's up with y'all? <laughs> thank you. We need like a laugh sign or something. Let's pray real quick. Daddy, we thank you for, thank you so much. Um, man, just ask that you delete anything that I think I know because I don't know Jack. I ask that you inject me with your divine understanding because you're pretty dope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. That's right, I said dope. In the book of Nehemiah, there's a scripture. I, I use this and I, and I love to read this. Um, um, and I just want to read through it. I won't bore you because all of y'all are smart. I am not smarter than a fifth grader. I decided that. And I know that, and I know you all, you all need deep in information, so I'm not going to bore you with a lot of information. But I do want to build a foundation. I want to I lay down a, found, a thick foundation of this story that's pretty sweet. Um, here it goes. It says, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived exile 
are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. I want you to smell the smoke. This is exegesis on 3D. That's another joke. I want you to smell it. I want you to smell the smoke. I want you to, I want you to, 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 to your senses to be sparked, to know what the walls on fire, with the gates on fire, what that might look like, what that might smell like. And when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about where God's story and my story collide. We're talking about a very violent collision. We're talking about friction at a point where it moves you and moves any and everything that's involved with you. And in your sphere, it moves everything. When God's story and our story collide, it has no choice but things to move. When we don't move, there's a problem and we're outside of God's order. I get very moved about this stuff. I've seen too much. It messes me up. You see right here, we have my man Nehemiah who's basically sitting here. He's off minding his own business uh, with the king. And he, and he gets news about the city and the walls on fire. And he, and he gets his news and he sits back. And then meanwhile, he just jumps back on his, on his iPhone and he just continues to just continue to just act like nothing is happening. Absolutely not. He hears of this information. The first thing that happens here is that the dude was led to weep. Something intrinsically happened. Something on the inside of him happened that caused him to weep. My question for you, seeing all this garbage on television, seeing stuff that's happening in our cities around the country, when was the last time you wept? Real talk. Has this become such a social norm? Have we become so numb that when we see stuff happening, all we do is run our mouths where I come from, running your mouth gets you. All we do is run our mouths and do absolutely nothing and act like it's just normal for people to be hurt. Act like it's just normal for people to die. Act like it's normal for people to cut. Act like it's normal for people to intake drugs. That's not normal. Our human frames were never meant to be sinful. It's not normal. We accepted a sick, twisted Social norm. I need to do my yoga. I want to throw something, but I might get sued or something, so I'm not going to throw anything right now. Ah! Let me tell you, uh, I have the privilege of serving in the Wesleyan Church um, as a part of a, my responsibility, responsibility is urban church funding for North America. And so I'm in the hoods, in the cities, all across the country, trying, trying to figure out a strategy on how do we strategically plant churches in our urban context. And let me tell you that the walls are on fire. If you haven't been around, if you haven't seen the walls are on fire, the question is, how do you feel about it? If you're not feeling anything, you ain't going to do nothing about it. Do we need to hug? I think we do. Give me a hug. Come on. Appreciate it. Hey, 
Give my hand, forgive me a hug. Give me my hand. This is the hugging section of America, the world. Do wept. Verse 4, continue 4b, it says, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What broke him moved him to pray and fast about that thing. See, it's one thing to be sitting up here snotting and crying and, the word, and seeing something and snotting and crying, but what are you actually going to do that will invoke God in the process of what you should be doing? If we're not feeling it, we will never pray for it. If it doesn't hurt me, it's like, yeah, 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 that, that is for them. And this is what's happening over there. If you don't feel it if, it, if it's not your problem, you won't pray about it. It would not become the subject matter of your prayer. It would not be the center and the very focus of your prayer because it ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm saying it has everything to do with you. I know the story goes, and I don't have time to go through all of it, but man, like to go to the second chapter there, and, and uh, 52 days, the wall was built, and you know, Ezra moved, you know, the whole Ezra, Nehemiah, team, power, stuff happens. But here's what I want to land the plane with. I just wrote this down. It makes it more important when you write it down like this. Oh, yeah, I wrote it down, but I did. Here's what it says. It says, whatever breaks your heart would demand your compassion. Whatever demands your compassion will become the subject matter of your prayers. And whatever consumes your prayers has the potential to move you into action. You see that? But it starts with feeling something. There's a guy by the name of John Eldridge. He says something like, uh, your greatest passion often comes from your deepest hurt. Your greatest passion often comes from your deepest hurt. When was the last time you wrestled with your junk? The problem with Christianity today is that we don't want to wrestle with our junk. When we thank you, hallelujah, and, and joy and happiness. No, no, there's some garbage that's pressed down right in here that God wants to use as a catalyst. But if you ain't never going to get hurt, keep on living a safe Christian life. Tell me how that worked for you. Do we need to hug again? We good? All right, sweet. I want to share with you just a little bit more of, of, of my story, just want so you can kind of I'm gonna do the very brief version of it, but I want you to be able to see um, something here. Um, I was raised in the inner city in Michigan, and um, I was just, you know, just, it was different, you know? It was not better, not worse, just different. The difference was is that there was drugs and you know, game banging, all this stuff all around, and alcohol and everything. Um, I remember 
there was something that happened. I was, I was writing my book, and uh, the lady who was a lot smarter than me, she was helping me put my words together. And uh, she was like, uh, Troy, it seems like you got involved with gangs here, um, and then you were a normal kid here. Uh, you're missing something. You know how you give your, your little PG version of your testimony? Raise a pinky or something, or I'm going to come out there. Yeah, that's you. You give that, 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 that clean version. I, I was given the clean version. I was supposed to be coming clean and giving the whole story, nothing but the truth. The reality is I was, when I was nine years old, I was molested. Where do dudes go and talk about that? Oh, they hit a couple cats right there. Where do you talk about that? What do you talk about? So what that did was it sent me on the spirals. Like, well, wait a minute. I'm not, I wasn't your average nine-year-old. My whole family, we fight. That's what we do. I mean, from organized to unorganized. That's what we do. So I was a trained nine, 10, 12-year-old. I was ridiculously trained. And so it's like, what do you do with that? You got all this confusion, anger, and you put me in the hood. You put me in situations. I'm blowing your mouth out. That's what I did. So then, of course, the teachers look like, oh, he's a trouble child. You don't know what's happening inside of me. Just ask the question. You might figure something out. And, of course, that spirals, and then you go into to junior high. I was never supposed to go from sixth grade to seventh grade. I couldn't handle the truth. That was another joke. I missed it. Like, just like, shh. Jack Nichols. No, never mind. And I ended up uh, failing in seventh grade three times. How in the world do you do that? I did. So they kicked me out of the, uh, the public school, sent me to the, to the back kids' school, got into some fights. They kicked me out of there. So where do you go? So obviously the gangs were open and available when the church was closed. I get an amen or three or some snap some fingers or something. The church was closed. Not even two minutes walking distance. Um, later on, I'm shooting at everything that breathed. No exaggeration. The church dudes and the church is watching us do it. The church was in Oakland. They'd rather talk about my pants, they'd rather be more concerned about my hat than be concerned about my soul. Hadiths and traditions. Are you serious? Um, I gotta get together. I'm trying to, I'm trying to yeah. Let's finish this up. So I got heavily involved with gangs and stuff like that. I moved out of my mother's house when I was 16 years old. Started doing my own thing because I thought I was growing. Started doing my thing and the worst decision I ever made in my life. Started, to, um, got involved with selling drugs and, and crack cocaine and, and, and weed and stuff like that. Um, started doing that for a minute. And um, um, then I, uh, by the time I hit about 18, 17, 18 or so, I ended up having a, a, a house, a couple houses, dope houses and random projects. And then I had a, a house of prostitutes, right? And so that, that is a whole different world, a whole different thinking. And so you get into this thing, you got all this stuff happening, and all these things happening, and from one summer to the next summer, you know what I'm saying, three of my brothers were shot. One of my mother's porch, one across the street from my, brother, my mother's house, and one across the street from my grandfather's church, which was up the street from my mom's house. Can you imagine what that does to a person's mind, all you psychology and sociology majors? I couldn't find any PSD programs for me.
ended up seeing a lot of stuff. And uh, I ended up moving to Georgia. Uh, several people out to kill me, as you can imagine. A couple hundred people every day trying to kill you. That's how my brothers got shot. They were trying to kill me. As you can imagine that. You watch television if you want to. Play the video games. I was scared to death. Scared to death. So I ran. All the tough guys ain't going to tell you that because they ain't tough for real, for real. I ran. I went to Georgia. Tried to do the right thing. Cognitively, I got it. I was making some good decisions. I was like, you're right. I'm going to do the right thing. Been there. It failed me. There's only one sustainable solution. I know that now. And I tried all that stuff. So then a guy wrote him and said, hey, you want to make some money? I was like, yeah. Uh, he said, well, roll with me. And I became a bodyguard. And my job was to hurt people. I do that very well. And to get paid for it. You know, and I traveled with him. I got messed up. I wish I, wish I could tell you that. It's a happy ending story. No, I end up homeless, living in the back of a U-Haul truck, talking to myself, begging for food. Not having any hope, no any, I hadn't been in communication with my mother for, for a couple of years. I had, I had no connection. I cut everybody and everything off. I felt like I had no value, no worth. And one day, what I know now is God's provenient grace. When I was garbage, he still wanted me. Choice versions. He wanted me, and I, I, one day I got up, and I called my mama. I got a couple seconds. I don't understand this idea of, like, yelling at your mama, going, cussing at your mother, going off on your I don't, I don't, with all the stuff I've done, I've never raised my voice to my mother once. Not once. And she was sitting here, she said the same thing. I just can't get that far. Probably because my mother's a martial artist. That probably helps. No, seriously, she is. Hey, karate boy, this is crazy. You never know when you might need them, so shut your mouth. Thank you for that one clap. I forgive him, give him my hand for that one clap. The one clap on the first row. Let's shut this down. I ended up moving to uh, Detroit, coming back, moved to Detroit. I was told I couldn't move back to Grand Rapids. Um, or I die. So I ended up moving to Detroit a couple hours away. And so um, I walked into a church. I decided I would never go into a church because I thought it was full of hypocrites and racists. And uh, so I decided I would never walk into a church. A girl convinced me to go to church. It was Father's Day. Everybody go to church on Father's Day, right? So I go up in this joint, and uh, I was extreme racist. And uh, it was a bunch of white people, a bunch of Latino people, a bunch of black people. Uh, <laughs> hugging me and all this foolishness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, wait a minute, why you do all this hugging? You know? And somewhere, I think God used that to teach me that somebody lied to me somewhere along the way. Because there was nothing but love right there. And uh, that day, I got used that and a couple other things uh, that caused me and my wife now. Um, to go and surrender our lives to Christ that day. And I'm telling you, we made a commitment. So, like, yo, I, I, would, I would be a soldier for you. I didn't know what it meant, 
to be, make disciples, but I said, I will be a soldier for you for the rest of my life. The same thing I did on the block when I was 16, 17, had 50 guys under my leadership. I would do the exact same thing for you. And then that's what started to happen is that the collision started. The collision, it was my story, God's story, and it all started to smash. And then I started to, stuff started to happen. And he connected me with the engineer. He connected me with the business guy. He connected me with this, with this uh, pastor, and I kind of sort of became a pastor. And then, and then he connected me with this, I kind of sort of became an engineer, and then I became a businessman. And all the stuff starts to happen. And I'm saying, I'm going, and my, my business partner is $12.5 million a year, and, and all this stuff. And we, we did this we did great business. And I'm sitting here in my nice office with clients and all this great stuff. I realized that our gangs had tripled where I'm from, about 50 known gangs in my city. I realized that racism was still alive and well. I had a decision to make. I was in my Christian, comfortable world. I was ready to go and pursue the American dream. I was gone. My Jerusalem was on fire. My wife and I had to make a conscious decision to move back to the city and plant our second church. My first church was planted in a homeless shelter. We planted a church in the inner city of Grand Rapids. And then eight years later, we planted what we know as the Edge, a hip-hop church. People, all that I told you all happened before I hit 24 years old. So what's your excuse? Don't you think that you're sitting here learning all that you need to learn for your own purpose, for you to go get your great job? If you do that, that's a lame life. If that's all you're looking for, if that's all you want in life, have you ever woke up and said, is this it? I'm telling you, this is not it. I'm saying you're in a learning incubator right now to, to be consumed with God, Holy Spirit. To be consumed with passion that will cause you to get on your knees and weep and cry and pray and pray and cry and start to sit down and come up with some strategy about what in the world am I going to do about it. You got four years to do that. What you going to do? I hope that you don't go four years doing this and at the end of it, oh, yeah, I'm going to go intern. Is that it? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go get a, I'm going to work in the church. Is that it? That's pretty lame to me. We need to hug again? We good? Oh, we do. I just might give me a hug. Let me tell you what God can do. And only God can do this. I love giving my testimony because it removes that I don't have any ability to do anything I'm about to tell you. I have no pedigrees. I have no degrees. I, have, I read about a fifth grade level now. I have nothing to brag and boast on. I'm standing on his shoulders and his shoulders alone. We, we, we've, 
we've seen youth and young adults, our youngest uh, business owner at our church, she's uh, 12. She's been owning a company for the last two and a half years. We found out, she told me, like, hey, yeah, I want to go. And she sells bows and all these cute things and all this stuff. And she ended up going, she said, hey, P.E., I want to um, do something. I want to, she started donating back to the church from her proceeds. Then I hear from her father that what she's doing is that she's gone in the beginning of school year because she lives in the hood. Then in the beginning of school year, she goes around and she's giving out bowls to kids in her community. It's a 12-year-old. You feel me? God, God wants, to, wants to use us. He'll take our story. He'll take everything that happened. Things that happened. Thousands of people have been impacted around the country. It's just some ridiculous things happening. Here's my question for you. What's your story? And do you see where God's story may intersect? Remember, your deepest hurt, that may be a good starting place to find your passion. That may be a good place. That thing that you, is just in your stomach, when you see it, it just cringe. It just turns, it just, it does something to you. Maybe God wants to work with that. I want to challenge you in three areas. Three, three areas of how you can live your passion out. First one. Let's deal with this racial reconciliation. I'm going to be very frank with you. I'm 43 years old. I got several, a whole bunch of children, a whole bunch of grandchildren, right? My, my, my eldest son is 27 years old, right? I know. Here it is. If you're waiting on people my generation and older to fix this racism problem, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because we're going to do a lot of talking, a lot of debating, and we're going to be more interested in our political stance than we are racial reconciliation, quite frankly. We need you. If you don't do something about it, it's not going to happen. You... Y'all the change right here. And I'm not talking about tomorrow, right now. If you see racial injustice on this campus, if you say ra racial injustice around you, if you say something, people will listen. And if they don't call me, we'll handle that. <laughs> so deal with racial reconciliation. That's something you can do. Second one. Um, the National Baptist Convention, they did some research with S. Detzer and Lifeway and all this stuff. But uh, here's, here's why I took my job, to be an church, urban church planter. Um, one, we know that Dr. Olson says that uh, the most effective way to, to, to reach lost people is to plant new churches. You talk to me later, I can tell you why. It's, it's pretty, really basic marketing. Did you hear what I said? The most effective way to reach lost people is to plant new churches. Do the research. Okay? Um, 200 million people in America that do not confess Jesus Christ as Lord. 160 million of those live in our cities. This makes America, listen to me very quickly, this makes America the third largest mission field in the world. So where do you want to go? The third largest mission field in the world. Because we do this with our own backyard. <laughs> Do we need to hug? 
I'm telling you that there's something that you can do about it. There, was, there were people, all the way back to, uh, there were people even in the last couple of years from this university that went to Florida, people going other places and doing things. You can be thinking about how do I, how do we be, you don't have to be the lead pastor. I'm saying don't be the lead pastor. Quite frankly, 98% of you should never lead a church. God damn it. Come on, man. Maybe some of you are Nehemiahs, more of your practical. Maybe your, 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 your education can be used to build stuff. And then there may be an Ezra or two. That may be the priest. Because you come around the Ezra's. Take your business degree. Take your nursing degree. Take, take those things that come around them and say, I'll work a job. But I'll come and I'll support you. And think about moving somewhere strategically in this country and go make a difference. Because if you're waiting on people my age to do it, it ain't going to happen. You with me? Last one. We sit around, we read all these books and look in that post and twits and tweets and twerks. I like doing all this stuff. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about right now. Yeah, investing in people. We're looking for our purpose. Like, what did you, what was I created for? Many people stay outside of the faith because they're still trying to figure out what they were created for. Let me help you just a little bit. You were created in his likeness and his, in his image to do what he called you to do. And what we know he's called us to do is make disciples. If you know nothing else about life, you know that you're called to make disciples. In fact, if you don't make disciples, you're not a Christian. Go therefore. There was this, this wasn't the great suggestion. <laughs> man, you're getting it! You man! My question is, is that are you investing in somebody that's a little bit younger than you? You can do that now. One hour, once a week, one person, you can drastically change their life. Mark, let's do this. If you notice, Mark's last name is Evans. Um, he's not my biological son. Mark is uh, one of my brothers that got shot, who's still alive. Um, the doctors say it's because of his muscle mass. Is why he's alive, because the bullet still, uh, after almost 20 years, is still in his chest. Um, but that's his son. Um, my brother's kind of doing his own thing. Uh, I, I left my mother's house when I was 16. I went out. That means I didn't know him. He was a stranger to me when I came back to the city. But there was a young man sitting there. He says, like, man... He, he, he wants to figure out who he is. He grew, he lives in the same neighborhood where I grew up. Gunshots every day, gangbanging, prostitutes, people walking up the street smoking crack every day. I was like, man, what, what, what would it look like if I would invest some time and spend time with him? Let me tell you what God can do and only God can do. He owns his own company, his own dance school. It's in the basement of the church. He travels all over the country and outside the country. We went to China together once, and we go and travel all the country doing what he does. If you ever look up Mark Evans Lecrae, you'll find a video of Lecrae's music with, I don't know, several thousand hits on it. He does music with Andy Minnie. I mean, he do stuff with everybody in the industry at this point. Just spend some time. 
got a question for you. He said, all this talking, what you going to do? I don't like emotion. Don't get involved with the emotional part of this. But I'm going to ask you a question. And if you feel like you want to do something, don't just talk about it. If you want to do something, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. If you're not interested in doing nothing, please sit down. This will cost you your life. No, please don't follow suit. If you're not called to stand up, don't stand up. I want to pray with you. I want to pray that this today will be a day that you'll never forget. But I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I'm going to ask that you share with two or three people what God has placed in your heart before the end of the day. And you ask them to hold you accountable to that. Who's with that? Let's go to our daddy together. Daddy, we just thank you so much for allowing us to participate in your dance. God, our story all by itself is nothing. But man, it does something when they come together and we allow you to invade our space. Daddy, we offer ourselves to you. Lord, we accept the responsibility of making disciples of all nations and teaching people to obey everything that you've commanded us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Give somebody a high five next to you and tell them I'm about to do this.